Welcome to the next episode of Humans of SDU. Today we will be continuing our season with another teacher, Anders, who was my supervisor for my MA thesis. Um, he's now teaching history at the American Studies Center and he'll talk about a lot of stuff. So listen up. Welcome, Anders. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, well, it's clear to us how you ended up here. This Anders was my was my uh, MA thesis supervisor, and he was really good. So thank you again. Uh, <laughs> but on a more general note, how did you end up here as at SDU? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, 2020 is, uh, I guess, like a, an, an interesting year in, in that sense because uh, the fall of 2020 is exactly 20 years after I started at the University of Southern Denmark. Oh, yay. And so uh, so I, I started my, my undergraduate education in in, a his, in history, the the, uh, the general history program uh, back in 2000. And uh, since then, you know, I had a, had a chance to tailor some of my history education uh, back in, in those early days to, uh, to spend a year in Ohio uh, as the third year of my undergraduate education. Uh, had nine months where I, maybe even a little bit longer, where I just really immersed myself in American history and American culture. And uh, while living uh, on an American university campus, um, from there um, had the good fortune that the timing was just right in terms of the Center for American Studies creating an MA program that began exactly the year that I came back from Ohio. So in the fall of 2003, I believe it was, I came back here and, and then had a, a chance to embark on, on a, a more concrete way of, of learning about the United States by having a, a structured program that just dealt with American culture uh, broadly and also very specifically. And, and I did that along with a, a minor in journalism. But then by the time I was done here, had a had an opportunity to go out and, and work uh, as a journalist for a number of years, while also covering topics from time to time that dealt with the United States. Came back at the university for a PhD degree in uh, journalism studies and, uh, and spent uh, three years out here at the Department of, of Social Science uh, in the, at the Center for Journalism where I studied Americanization of Danish journalism, uh, the way that the uh, flow of ideas and people sort of uh, shaped uh, in some ways the practices of, of Danish journalists after the 1970s, uh, especially in terms of investigative journalism and uh, storytelling and narrative nonfiction. Um, but of course also some of the stuff about technology and, and visual aspects of journalism. So after that, had a chance again to go out, work as a journalist, came back, came out uh, and worked in the museum world for some time. Uh, got, a, got a grant uh, to, to luckily be back at American Studies and, and slowly but surely you know, had a chance to, to hang on. And, uh, and now I'm here, it seems, for good. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is interesting that <coughs> you, because many of, many of the teachers, they, they just really stuck to the academic world after their uh, masters, after their PhD. So what what actually convinced you to come back to the academic life, not stick with journalism or journalistic research? Yeah, um, I, I think I loved uh, working as a, as a journalist in, in many ways. I worked as a sports journalist um, writing for the website uh, tv2.dk. Uh, and it, it was a wonderful work environment in, in many ways, but it was also with um, a little bit of a, of a production schedule that didn't allow for a lot of immersion. 
the, the ability to go a little bit deeper sometimes to take a step back and, and take a, a, a broader perspective perhaps or a deeper look into issues that I was really interested in that was only possible at times so sometimes I felt myself longing for an opportunity to really immerse myself in, in one particular topic instead of covering everything th- from uh, tennis to soccer to handball to cycling um, and, and also American football uh, so going back to the university world um, made a lot of sense I thought if I could then combine this interest I had in journalism and also um, do something with uh, with academia, uh, teach and and research. Uh, so the journalism studies degree turned out to be a, a, an example of good timing again that uh, they posted a, a PhD position in in journalism mm-hmm. studies right at that time. So I mean, some of it is like by design, me being interested in 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 certain aspects, and and some of it is like the the luck of the draw or accidental. Um, opportunities uh, emerging and um, and of course also like I guess like having the mindset to seek out opportunities that uh, that might otherwise not have, have come across one's desk if, if you if the if you hadn't been like in uh, open to them at least mm-hmm. and uh, talking about uh, now you are teaching at the American studies department would you call it uh, How did you become interested in this, uh, uh, in American, um, I don't know, history, American politics? Because you are also writing a book about uh, the Civil War, right? Yeah. So, so at the moment, my my main focus area, uh, I guess, I, I've sort of like, I keep coming back to it, but uh, but there's something really, really formative about the the American Civil War era, uh, the American Civil War fought between 1861 and 1865 that leads to the abolition of slavery and close to four million uh, former enslaved Americans that then have to navigate what is broadly perceived as a free market economy where everybody have to fend for themselves. So in terms of questions of citizenship, in terms of uh, inequality in, in, in American society, in terms of access to voting rights and in terms of domestic terrorism and the emergence of the Ku Klux Klan. All these events, in many ways, originate in the 1860s. And so I've been really interested in that period for for a number of years. And if you ask, <laughs> why did I get interested in it? Um, that The personal story about it, uh, my family story, is that my mom uh, in the 1960s was an exchange student in the United States and kept in touch for decades with her host family and everybody that she knew in the state of Michigan in the Midwest, one of the s- main swing states in, in this upcoming uh, uh, presidential election. So when I was six years old, my, my parents took me to the United States together with my little brother to visit these uh, uh, Americans that they had this uh, close and, and personal connection to. And I, I obviously had never been to the United States and knew very little about it, but I, I got this interest in learning the English language uh, to begin with, but also, you know, like just was extremely curious about the United States because it was it, it was obvious that it was very different, but also in, in some ways pretty familiar to what I came from. And so the the first time I came to the United States, I came to Michigan of all places and like really spent a lot of time in the Midwest. Uh, and uh, and then, you know, had a chance to go come back when I went to Ohio uh, close to 20 years later. Um, but 
where a lot of Danes, when they travel to the United States, you know, they love going to New York or they go to Florida or they go to California. I, I ended up in, in Michigan and, uh, and I, I have loved that for, for a number of years. And I think that sort of piqued my interest. And some of the people in Michigan were really involved in reenacting the American Civil War. So my parents took me uh, to see some of these people. And I don't remember specifically if that's like, that was a switch that turned, but, uh, but I do remember when I was 14 that I, I went into an, an antique store uh, and uh, like an, uh, a used bookstore also and, and, and picked up a book about the American Civil War that, that really spoke to me at a time when the, the Civil War series North and South was played on Danish television okay. with Patrick Swayze and uh, some, uh, some other famous actors that, uh, that some of my friends were really interested in. So that, the television <laughs> series, uh, combined with, uh, with this book by Bruce Catton called The American Civil War, I was like 13 or 14 back then. It was just like, this is a really fascinating time. I think I should look into it a little bit more. And now, 25 years later, I'm finally Still like finally getting, <laughs> getting around to, to writing an English language book about this. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit more about your book? What's the, what's the topics you are covering there? Yeah, so uh, again, I've, I've been writing on this uh, in, in all levels of uh, my education for, for a number of years, but now <coughs> finally getting to... to a point where I am publishing an English language book with, uh, with, a, with an English university press uh, called Scandinavians, Citizenship and American Empire, uh, dealing with the period between 1848 and, uh, and 1870 approximately. And the reason for that is the, the revolutions in Europe of, of 1848 and in many ways form and uh, will shape uh, conversations about slavery in, uh, in the Americas as well, that uh, the Danish government is forced to abolish slavery in what is called the Danish West Indies back uh, in, in the 1840s. Um, the, the French government uh, that comes into to being very briefly in, in 1848 abolishes slavery in uh, Guadeloupe and uh, Martinique as well. So, so slavery is abolished in, in the Caribbean uh, at this particular time and creates a lot of fear uh, on the American mainland that slavery is going to be abolished uh, in, in the United States as well. That doesn't happen for a number of years, but when the Civil War breaks out in, in 1861, then one of the key issues that, that leads to civil war in the United States is the, the role of, of black Americans uh, in, in American society. And, uh, and so taking that story about colonies, colonization uh, in, from a Danish perspective, but also the way that it relates to slavery in the United States is, is part of it. So. When I say citizenship and American empire, there are really big discussions about who's included and who is excluded in an American uh, nation state uh, around the, the 1860s, right? And not until the 14th Amendment uh, to the Constitution is it decided that everybody born within American borders are citizens of the United States. Um, so, so that's the citizenship aspect of it. It's really up in the air, but it gets settled through uh, the, the discussions during the American Civil War. The empire part of it, of course, has to do, on the one hand, with trying to expand American borders, for example, into the Caribbean, but also out into the Pacific, but expansion westward that, uh, that drives American Indians off their land to create states like Wisconsin, after Michigan, and, and then uh, Minnesota. Um, and slow, slowly but surely, you know, um, creates a, 
an, an American nation consisting of 50 states, where at the time, time of the American Civil War, there's 32 and 33 states uh, uh, as part of, of the United States. And were there many Danish communities in the U.S. in the 19th century? Um, a lot of, uh, well, a, a fair number of, uh, of Danish communities uh, ethnic uh, communities emerge in after the 1860s uh, before uh, the time well starting around the time that that I dig into to the story there are a few uh, there's one specific locality called New Denmark uh, in Wisconsin that is settled by people f- uh, from the island just south of where we're sitting right now the island of Langeland yeah. uh, just <laughs> south of Funen a lot of them because uh, condition living conditions in Denmark are really really poor for people that don't own land. So if you are uh, a day laborer uh, and, and don't have access to, to land owning opportunities yourself, uh, you live uh, a, an existence that is, is uh, in many ways characterized by, by deep poverty. And so coming to the United States and, and realizing opportunities for land ownership is, is a key part of, of the Scandinavian story of how to realize the American dream, getting uh, one's foot under one's own table and and getting a parcel of land. The darker side of that story, of course, is like Scandinavian land ownership opportunities, of course, comes at the expense of American Indians uh, Mm -hmm. who are being driven westward at this time. But but it's part of the story also. The community of New Denmark settles on land that used to belong to American Indians, but they don't reflect on it as much. Uh, What they they do is uh, sort of... um, grapple with, with the notion of, of what does it mean, what sort of rights do I have as an American citizen? But then the question comes back when civil war breaks out, what sort of duties do I have to an American government also that are now asking me to go to war to c- try and maintain a United States of America? And a lot of these things are reluctant to put their life on the line uh, in an American civil war, at least a lot of the ones who live in New Denmark. So that's the Civil War era, and in terms of Danish communities, subsequently you have you see a lot of uh, colonies emerge in Nebraska and uh, uh, Iowa uh, and and other uh, places where uh, the most famous one now being out in California, right? The one in Solvang that is uh, started in, in the early twentieth century. Um, you have so you have small pockets uh, of uh, of Danish colonies, but. Uh, but I think uh, a lot of researchers would say that the story of Danish immigration is more that they spread out into uh, different uh, enclaves that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily ethnic enclaves. They just they're very focused on on creating social mobility. So if that means not living together with people that speak Danish or Swedish or Norwegian, that's not quite as important as getting a better opportunity in in terms of of life sta- station and uh, and. Uh, a fellow researcher named Torben Grøngård Jebsen has done a lot of work with this, uh, and uh, on how Danes shifted geographically, uh, and and also in terms of of their job opportunities. Uh, a lot of Norwegians lived together. A lot of Danes spread out. So, uh, the reasons for that, uh, Torben will be able to tell you all about. <laughs> Wasn't you, s- you mentioned your mom was there for an exchange in the sixties? Wasn't she tempted to stay? I, I think in in some ways she was really really fascinated by it and had a, had a wonderful year there. But uh, but I also think that the nature of living abroad in the nineteen sixties, well, you know, it was it was a little bit of a of a quite a rupture, you know, that you you sailed to the United States in the nineteen sixties, 
Uh, oh, I can't like imagine that. Three, four weeks, I think it took her to, to sail there. Uh, and then, you know, writing letters back to your family and uh, and trying to stay in touch in some ways with the people that you had, like, known your entire life where at a, pl- a time when, like, mobility geographically in Denmark was perhaps not as marked as it is in, in the 21st century. So in, in some ways, it, like, you lose touch in a really, really concrete way with everything that you have known by moving there. And I think uh, some people find that to be liberating and, and, and wonderful. I'm sure she had a part of that uh, experience as well. But uh, I also th- think there is like a sense of, of, of interest and relief in coming back home and, uh, and connecting with, with people that have been really important uh, to her and starting an education in Denmark and those sorts of things. So I don't think that there was like a serious, serious con- mm-hmm. uh, consideration of settling there. Uh, but um, but I, I, I did have those thoughts. Myself. When, when you were in Ohio, yeah, and and subsequently, you know, I, I ended up, um, yeah, I, I I also went and and lived a year in the, in the United States during my high school days. Uh, so I, I spent a year in Maryland uh, in in 1994, 95. Uh, came back and and spent that year in Ohio in 2002, 2003. During my journalism studies uh, days, I um, I had a year at the University of California, that. Uh, that led me to to consider whether or not uh, an academic career or a life a work life in in the United States might be possible and since then I've had some opportunities to live in New York uh, as part of visiting scholar opportunities also uh, living up in in Harlem for a number of months and living out in the Bronx um, or in in Brooklyn I, I should say and so between those four or five years in the United States, uh, back and forth between Denmark and the U.S., you know, I, I started considering seriously, you know, what would my opportunities be here? What would my opportunities be there? And as I, I mentioned to begin with, it wasn't until very recently, you know, that I got a toehold at the University of Southern Denmark that allowed me to think about a long-term future here. Mm-hmm. And so in those years in between, I guess between 2007 and 2018, there's really no clear path to a work life or a more like a, a permanent uh, job uh, within academia or journalism here that that told me that I was uh, supposed to be do, doing this or that in Denmark or the United States. So so now at the moment it seems like that path is set somewhat at the University of Southern Denmark with the Center for American Studies. Wonderful work environment uh, but that only fell into place a couple of years ago. Yeah. But it was also a, like only the, the job opportunity that decided or it was only like the, the feeling of being uh, home or how would you call it? Because uh, yeah, yeah. If, the, if there's, if the, I don't know, it's just a speculation. I yeah. don't know if you should <laughs> talk about it. But if there wasn't like this uh, opportunity occurring, would it be like more? Or how does it feel for you? How is it important, this feeling of being in uh, uh, among... Danes, or how would you call it? Like being home, I would call it. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's it's a double-edged sword in in some ways, right? When when you have had those opportunities of, of living uh, abroad, that there there is a, a certain sense of, uh, um, yeah, a familiarity with the with the place where you grew up, uh, and. Growing up in a place like Denmark, I think um, a lot of people are really, really fortunate to grow up in a place where they don't have to uh, put themselves into debt in order to get a, a higher uh, 
degree in terms of education, that uh, the healthcare system for all the complaints that people have about it in Denmark is is pretty well functioning compared to a place like the United States, where I've spent uh, quite a, a number of years in terms of the structures around family life for young women to want to pursue a career. I, I think even if it, I'm sure it could be better, right, that the that the Danish society over the last 50 years has to have developed some sort of, of measures, both in terms of maternity leave, but also parental leave for, for men to, to take care of, of family life uh, with subsidized uh, daycare institutions and, uh, and uh, a well-functioning, I would say, uh, public school system, again, compared to the United States. So when taking all these things into consideration, right, what sort of I, I have a daughter who's five years old. Uh, you know, you have to sort of consider. You know, would I, would I prefer to have her grow up in in a place like the United States where she would have a lot of opportunities, a lot of diversity, a lot of like ethnic, uh, uh, interesting experiences, learning several languages that she might never encounter in Denmark, and and people with uh, with all kinds of uh, backgrounds and religions and skin colors, versus some of the opportunities for for a, a very well-functioning, I think, start to uh, life in, in terms of daycare and, uh, and, and, and s- the, the school system. And I'm not saying that wouldn't have been the case necessarily in, in the United States because we would have been relatively privileged working in academia if we got jobs over there. But for people that don't, uh, family life in the United States might be a little bit more challenging. I imagine. Mm. And uh, except because before we started this interview, we were saying that uh, for most of the people in uh, the Department of American Studies, your job is your hobby, but do you spend your free time in any other way than uh, looking into American history, politics, culture, anything? I think if you had asked me a week ago, I would have said <laughs> mostly no. <laughs> but but, uh, but the beautiful thing about it, again, like my job is my hobby, right? I, I talked to my, my good friend and colleague, Thomas Pierre, about like s- how how we oftentimes justify watching uh, American movies, for example, like thinking about, well, I do, do need to watch this Netflix series in order to stay up to date with what is going <laughs> on in, in the United States. So, so we, you know, when we, when we read good books uh, and, and they have like a peripheral connection to the United States, you're like, maybe I can somehow, maybe it deepens my understanding of a certain aspect. So for better or worse, the good thing about working in American studies and living in Denmark is that there are a lot of cultural inputs to life in Denmark that sort of relate to the United States. So I wouldn't say that I, <laughs> that I don't do anything that, uh, that doesn't have to do with the United States. But in terms of watching series, for example, I, I recently started watching the Babylon Berlin series that it was, uh, was on DR a, a few months back, I think. And I find it to be a, a wonderful and really, really fascinating television series about what life was like in Germany in the 1920s. And there's a little bit about the workers' movement. I'm now working on the American labor movement in the in the 19th century, and there's something about the socialist movement in Germany in 1920 that I might peripherally be able to connect somehow. Yeah, so you, you can't <laughs> say that this is just a hobby. Yeah. I can see yeah. the, the historical pattern emerging there again. Yeah. Maybe, maybe so. Um, but mostly I, I watch that out of interest, and, uh, and of course, at times you, you come across stuff that, that doesn't have anything to do with the United States. And, uh, and when I do go out and spend time with good friends uh, at my local soccer club you know the united states doesn't come up that often uh, but i don't i don't play as much soccer as i used to right now so i think if you ask friends around me 
they would say that a lot of time is spent working with stuff that has to do with the United States. But I in, enjoy definitely whether or not it's playing soccer, whether or not it's playing squash, uh, or uh, sometimes uh, just just going going out and 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 seeing people. Um, sometimes also while t- taking a walk or a run, you know that that's a really nice way to to connect uh, outside of work and also sometimes leave work behind. Yeah. But it must be a bit hard if some of your friends are also in your workplace. This coming back to one of your stints in, in the U.S., we've heard uh, Rasmus, one of the guests uh, in the previous season, mm-hmm. mentioned that you were roommates and also with one of the other professors at American Studies. So yeah. do you maybe want to tell us some <laughs> stories from your student years? <laughs> yeah, so I think uh, when when Americans, they, they make like a like social games, right? Sometimes they have like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? That you can, any any person you know or any movie that you see is somehow connected to Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and uh, in a Danish university locality, at least related to American studies, I think a lot of us would trace some sort of connection back to Rasmus Nielsen. <laughs> uh, where is he the social hub? <laughs> He's a very social and very funny person, no doubt about that. Uh, a lot of lot of appreciation uh, for for Rasmus, both as a friend and and a, and a brilliant colleague, right? So the good thing about uh, about Rasmus is uh, is that that he lived in in Ohio at a time when when Thomas Pierre was there as well, and and some other uh, people who who went into academia or or journalism from the English uh, department, but for Whatever reason, uh, by 2003 or 2000, I guess one or two, when I started thinking about what was I supposed to do in my fourth and fifth and sixth semester, um, spots opened up for uh, students outside of English, and so I, as a history student, had an opportunity to apply for the the program in Ohio. And Rasmus, because he's a few years older and was further along in his academic uh, trajectory he had gotten into Ohio as a as a master's student on a stipend mm-hmm. uh, in the linguistics department and he was looking for a roommate so uh, <laughs> so I, I didn't know anything about uh, Athens Ohio I didn't know where to live I didn't know uh, who to associate with and and so having Rasmus help me fill out the uh, application forms and and him and, and Thomas you know talking about what it was like to be there was very helpful and I didn't really know if if we should all live together. A couple of uh, of young women came along also, and they 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 lived in different places and and found different roommates for. But uh, but for me and Rasmus, we we just we had a lot of mutual interests uh, around uh, American sports and uh, and like living. Yeah, his love for basketball is yeah is <laughs> yeah legendary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it just turned out you know he's a really funny guy he's a really nice guy he's a really smart guy so living together with him was a was a really good experience and uh, we found a cheap place to live right uh, uh, upstairs from a printing shop you know where we had like these fumes of like printing <laughs> like wa- wafting into our apartment that that would i think no probably not be uh, be sort of like uh, green lighted by the authorities <laughs> if uh, if you were doing studies about where where to live in in a healthy manner but um but it was cheap. It was good. It was close to campus, and we had a great time doing it. So it was a lot of like, I would say now looking back, uh, the way I remember it is studying pretty hard between Monday and Friday, but also then going out and in the evenings, Friday evening, playing soccer at the local uh, recreation uh, gym, having a few beers afterwards, maybe even more than a few sometimes. <laughs> um, coming back Saturday, 
and not doing too much, uh, just like experiencing life in the United States and on the weekends. So perhaps having a few beers on Saturday as well, uh, <laughs> and then watching American sports uh, on Sundays. Right, uh, this would like this is the fall of 2002. This is American football season that the university team would play on Saturdays, and uh, the local football team, Cincinnati or Cleveland, would play on Sundays. So, so it was like weekends filled with. I think if we're trying to relate it to my studies again, it would be <laughs> when, uh, weekends filled with American culture, uh, socializing uh, with Americans, uh, and uh, and getting that sort of the experience also, and then like again Monday through Friday, a lot of books uh, and uh, and everything that one had to do to pass classes at a at an, a graduate level in the US, United States. And how was then the the transition from being like close students, friends? I mean, the friendship stays that that's that's still the same, I would say, or I would guess. But how's the relationship goes from uh, like being co-students to being colleagues how does uh, at the university? Yeah, how does it feel to to see somebody you remember from, well, being uh, being young and <laughs> in the US? How does it feel to see see them as a as a professor or <laughs> teaching other impressionable kids? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really I really enjoyed you know again Thomas and and, and Rasmus uh, some of my my really good friends from uh, from. From back in the day, that are connected to Ohio, uh, Thomas, I saw, or stayed in touch with, or got to know a little bit through Rasmus, uh, and and Rasmus and I stayed in, in touch even when he was at Georgetown before he came back to the University of Southern Denmark. So it's always been like really, really easy to stay friends because it's it's never been about anything else than a mutual interest in in American studies. By the time I got to American studies, Thomas uh, was already tenured, I believe he had gotten and. A permanent position. Uh, he's in in literature, the department of, of literature and culture, so a little bit out of my field, and so very easy to work together with him and collaborate with him because we don't like overlap or have that much to do about should we teach this aspect of American history or that aspect. You know, that's that's usually decisions that I'm able to make uh, on my own or with colleagues in history. And Rasmus is in the department of uh, of uh, linguistics and, and language, right? So. So it's like taking the best of all worlds, and with those two good friends, it's a uh, it's really easy to just maintain that that friendship, uh, because we don't have that much uh, overlap when it comes to our work uh, stuff. And uh, it might have been might have been theoretically different, right? If we had all been up for the same job, mm-hmm. uh, there would be some like uh, yeah, competition. Uh, yeah. It, it would have been a little bit more stressful, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, w- I would assume uh, that uh, that at least uh, that is. You know some of the stories that you that you hear from from other departments or, or centers, right? Where there's uh, several applicants to just one position, and, and a lot of them come from uh, if the the same spot or had been uh, sort of like vying wi- mm-hmm. for for getting uh, uh, the the same uh, position. Um, and and so, so yeah, that's uh, that's academic life sometimes for better or worse. Yeah. Well, all right. I guess we are almost getting to the very end of our. Uh, talk and before we end it uh, we tend to ask our guests for uh, uh, a question if they have any life hack something that helps them it can be really anything that can helps them to go through life with ease do you have anything like that well now that we are at the university setting right I mean I, w- I would always tell my students about the mantra writing is thinking um, and the way to like 
work through complex issues by by getting uh, stuff down on paper instead of just like having uh, grand ideas about it. I would say from a personal perspective, uh, one of the things that that I did that was perhaps a little bit random, but it was also pretty helpful, was uh, coming across, this is again back to my undergrad days, uh, that I, I had some time to to work in the Danish nightlife um, and, and work behind the bar for, for a few years. And that was really, really underpaid in every way, <laughs> but it, it, was a, it was a fun experience. Uh, and, and one of the things that they tried to make up for the lack of pay was to say, well, we're going to help you uh, in terms of personal development. We're going to uh, uh, put you in touch with, with, uh, with interesting is to people that can tell you a little bit about how to get to, to certain uh, aspects of life. And so they introduced me to a book by a Danish rower who had won the Olympic gold uh, in the 1990s, I think. And that's uh, called Viljen Tessaya, like the will to win. And I picked it up, a very easy read. But it, it talked about like associating yourself with, uh, with people with a certain mindset, right? Like this, the same sort of approach to life as you, uh, a positive mindset uh, in some ways that uh, would be helpful if you were that sort of person yourself. And also the aspect of setting short-term and long-term goals. So I remember back in 2003, four reading this book and saying, well, I, if, if I write down some long-term goals, what do I want to do? And I remember specifically writing about wanting to work in journalism or wanting to work in academia with American history. And so that was like 15 years ago and then took a really long time, a really windy road, but, uh, but then like 15 years later, it came through. All right, yeah. well, thank you for this tip and thank you very much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. Um, we'll be back next week with another interesting guest. And until then, be sure to check out our Instagram and our Facebook for more interesting stories. Bye. <laughs>